The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church/contact. Glad you guys are here. Um, week two of our series. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. This is really like one six-week-long sermon. Um, we're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't want to um, go back over the whole sermon from last week, but I do want to just recap uh, real quickly for you some of what we covered last week. So we're studying through this book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, I believe. Um, he identifies himself as the preacher or the teacher in the beginning of the book and then all throughout the book. Um, the wisest, smartest, richest, most powerful man um, to have ever lived. And uh, basically controls most of the known world at this time. And he has all these resources and he sets off on this journey to discover the meaning of life. And um, he is going to <clears throat> try a bunch of different things and <clears throat> sample all that life has to offer and see if he can discover how to really find value or, or meaning or purpose in this world. And so uh, I shared with you last week these two phrases that come up over and over again in the book. So let me share them again, just in case you weren't here <coughs> last week. The first one is this, under the sun. About 40 times he uses this phrase, under the sun. And what he means by that is everything that exists on earth, everything that exists in this world. He's going to do a deep dive into the meaning of life, and he's going to explore and experience everything he can to find out if there's any real purpose in this world. But he's only going to limit his experiences to what he can um, physically touch or, or feel or, or be part of in this world. He's not going to go into the theoretical or, or, or dive into um, eternity or heaven or spirituality or ghosts or anything non-tangible that somebody might think up or, or imagine or believe is true. He's just going to limit his research to stuff that exists under the sun or on earth, practical, tangible stuff. This comes up over and over again. As he investigates all this stuff and all these different attempts to find meaning in life, he concludes a lot of them don't have real meaning. A lot of them don't have a lot of value to them. And he uses this phrase over and over again too. It's meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher or the teacher, depending on what translation you're looking at. Meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher. All is meaningless, like chasing after the wind. This phrase comes up 30 plus times in the book. And he describes most of the stuff he investigates as being meaningless. In some translations, it says vanity, which is where we got the name of our series, The Vanity of Humanity. But he doesn't mean vanity like look in a mirror vanity and think you're so great. He means vanity like empty or worthless or meaningless. It's all futile. And so he looks at a lot of these different areas of life. He explores them and he concludes that they're meaningless. They're worthless. They're futile. They have no real purpose or significance to your life. It's not to say that they're bad or evil things. They just don't hold within them the meaning of life. Now Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs. I shared that last week. And a lot of times you read the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes and they seem to contradict each other. The book of Proverbs gives you a lot of wise statements and says if you will live this way, you will see great results from it. Live wisely and your life will benefit from living that way, right? But then you get to the book of Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon seems to take these exact same principles of wisdom and say, live this way and they really don't 
produce a lot of benefit or result for your life. Seems like contradiction after contradiction, but I shared last week that that's really what life is like, and everybody knows that to be true on a heart level, that life is riddled with contradictions, and just because something is supposed to happen one way doesn't always mean it happens that way, does it? In fact, you would teach your kids this same principle, this idea of like, hey, I want you to do all the right things, but just because you do all the right things doesn't necessarily mean life is going to turn out the way you want it to turn out, right? Life itself is riddled with contradiction. And while Proverbs presents the way life should be, Ecclesiastes exposes the way life really is. And we need that contrast. If we didn't have that contrast, you would be tempted to look at the Bible, look at God's Word, and think it's just a bunch of fairy tale nonsense. It doesn't really happen that way in the real world. But Ecclesiastes shows us that Sometimes you do the right things and you pursue good things and healthy things, but life doesn't still go the way you'd want it to go. You can make all the right choices and yet it comes out meaningless, valueless, futile in the end. And so last week we looked at the first two categories that Solomon does this deep dive into to discover the meaning of life, the area of wisdom and pleasure. He tried to experience all the wisdom and foolishness he could to see if there was any benefit to living a wise life, which is what Proverbs is all about. He concludes that there really isn't. He can't take any of that wisdom with him into eternity. He's going to die someday, and so how... What will it matter how wise or foolish he lived? Does his wisdom get him any extra days on earth than the fool gets? No. Sometimes foolish people outlive wise people. And so he kind of concludes that even wisdom itself is meaningless, like chasing after the wind and trying to grab a hold of it. He deep dives into pleasure and he tries to experience all that the world has to offer with all of his riches and all of his power and all of his Um, wealth and influence. He tries to experience everything from drugs and alcohol to women to huge homes to um, enjoyable gardens and entertainment. Everything he could bring in front of him, food and drink, anything he could sample. And he too concludes it's never really satisfying. There's always an urge for more pleasure. It's never enough. So he concludes that they're meaningless, meaningless, like chasing after the wind. And so today I want to look at the next two pieces of life that he dives into. Maybe you sat last week and thought, well, I don't really spend my life pursuing education and degrees and wisdom. That isn't really me, although some people do. And what Solomon was saying to us is like, there is no degree you can earn. There is no book you can read or no information you can consume that will give meaning to your life. And maybe you were here last week and you thought, well, I know a lot of people pursue pleasure as like the end-all, be-all, but I don't really just go with my heart and I don't just try to accumulate as much pleasure as I can. I don't make it my goal in life to eat nonstop junk food and date as many people as I can and, and experience. I don't, that's not really my goal in life, but maybe for some people it is. And Solomon was trying to say to them like, hey, it'll never be enough. It's really meaningless. And so maybe one of these two today are where you're at. So let's dive into them. They're kind of connected. You're going to see some overlap throughout the six weeks with all of these. But the first one we're going to look at today is the area of work. I know some of you don't give any effort at all to work, right? But others in the room are kind of workaholics. 
So we probably range in this room all up and down the scale of, I don't even have a job. I've never worked. I don't even do any work around the house. I let somebody else do that. The whole way up to, I work 24-7, 365. And so I don't know where you're at on that, but I want to kind of dive into it like Solomon did, because if you think about it, a lot of us tend to identify ourselves when we start new relationships with people by what we do. We place a lot of value in the accomplishments we make and what we do for a living, what our career is, where we work. Hey, man, what do you do for a living? And that becomes the beginning of a conversation with a new friend. You go out on a date with somebody, and one of the first things you might talk about if you're an adult is, what do you do for a living? We place this great value on our careers, and it kind of becomes consuming to a lot of us. Stephanie and I have kind of made a rule for ourselves. This is mostly because of me, because I'm kind of wor- a lot worse at this than she is, but kind of made a rule for ourselves, like when we're out on a date, we don't talk about work, all right? We don't, we don't talk about the careers, because she thinks that's all I talk about is church. So, so I try not to talk about it. So for her, that means like no talking about mental health. And for me, that basically means like no talking about mental patients. You see what I did there? Okay, you guys see it? Okay. So, uh, but yeah, so we try not to talk shop when we're on dates because we'll be like an hour into the date and all I'll have talked about is church, mostly how like Chad annoyed me last week or something like that. And then she'll be like, is there anything else we can talk about besides church? So we try to instead talk about like our kids and stuff we've experienced throughout the week and uh, maybe things we dream about like for the future or stuff like that. But before you know it, if you don't pay attention to it, you can find yourself talking only about your career and your job. And without even knowing it, it's like become this super all-consuming, important thing to your life, and it's all you're known for. It's like your whole identity. It's all you have to offer. In fact, I think one time Stephanie even said to me, it's like, it feels like we wouldn't even have anything to talk about if we didn't talk about work. So then that, that to me is like a challenge. So now we like, now I come with like questions and stuff. I'm like ready. Ask her like her favorite color and stuff like that, but... So, but yeah, it can be like, before you realize it, it can become like this all-consuming piece of your identity. But I guess the question when it comes to work is like, can work really give us what we need in life? That's the question Solomon's going to kind of investigate and try to figure out. So it's worth saying that there's kind of two different people that look for meaning out of their work. So I'm going to give you both of them. You can see if one is you or if The other one is you, or maybe you're a little bit of both, or maybe you're neither. But there's the person who looks for meaning in in their work like an inner reward, right? They're looking for the satisfaction of a job well done, that person. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's you, maybe it's not you, but maybe you can at least kind of visualize what that would be like. The person that works hard, gives it all they got because there's an inner satisfaction that comes from feeling like they did a good job at something. And so they give it all they got. So, okay, let's say, just for now, let's say, why not? Maybe working for dignity's sake is not so bad. Well, the preacher is going to point out with this one that you still got the problem of death. You still got the problem of dying. So no matter how well or how badly you work at your job or your career, we all end up in the grave or the furnace someday. And neither of those places really care much at all about how good of a job you did. So whatever it is you worked for is gone when you die. All right, we'll come back to that inner reward. Just hang on to it because that's not all he has to say about that. But there's another kind of person that works for the outer reward, right? They're in it for the payday, right? Or maybe the legacy. 
the attention, the fame, or the recognition a job well done gets them. They're, they're in it for kind of the, the legacy aspect or the riches aspect. But think about those just for a second. If you're in it for the legacy, is it really the meaning of life? Is it really super fulfilling to think that someday you'll be a footnote in history? I mean, you won't even be around to hear about it. And if it's just about riches and accumulating stuff and wealth, then really you've kind of gone back to last week's pursuit of pleasure, haven't you? Because what point is there in having money other than to get a bunch of stuff, try a bunch of pleasure? Maybe you can make the argument it's for safety, but you've really kind of backtracked into the pursuit of pleasure. And so the outer reward kind of doesn't hold up either. So the preacher, Solomon, he looks at this pursuit of fulfillment through our work, and he describes that to him, it becomes not only meaningless, but he starts to hate work. He starts to despise his job. It starts to fill him with hopelessness inside when he considers all of it. And he's going to make three, cons- three conclusions about the pursuit of work uh, as your meaning or as your fulfillment life. I'm going to read you all three of them. You, you can, just like last week, I just want to challenge you, just be honest. Is he right or not? Is what he's saying the truth or not? And we'll see if we can all agree on some stuff here, okay? So here's the first one. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Let me read it to you, okay? It'll be right here on the sheet that I left on that chair. Is that okay? All right. I came to hate all my work here on earth, is what he says. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. What's he saying? He's saying no matter how well you work or how much it seems to fulfill you, you're going to die at some point and you're going to have to leave everything you worked for behind to somebody who might use it unwisely. Is that fair? Like, is that right or not? I mean, people try to uh, fill out wills. They try to tell their loved ones what they want done after they're gone. But the truth is, if you're being honest, if you're objectively looking at this and being intellectually honest with this investigation, you have to admit that once you're gone, you don't really know how your money's going to get spent, do you? You can say you want this done at your funeral and you want this money to go to this person and all that, but in the end, relatives can fight in court over that stuff and people cannot honor your wishes and you don't really have any clue how your money is going to get used after you're gone. It could get used for complete foolishness. And even if it did get used wisely, how long would that last? A week? A month? A year? A generation? You think your great-great-great-great-grandchildren are going to care about any money you've passed down through the ages? They won't even know who you were. So Solomon looks at all of his effort and work and his toil, and he kind of concludes this first piece of the puzzle like, man, when I die... I'm going to leave this behind to somebody. There's no telling how they're going to use it. That's a problem. If work is the ultimate meaning in life, if gathering this success in my career is all where all of my meaning comes from, then it's all going to get wrecked if the person after me misuses it. That's a problem. All right, he goes on. That's not all he has to conclude about it. Look at verse 20 in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, So I gave up in despair questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. 
What, what's he saying here? Not only do you have to leave everything you earn and everything you work for to someone who might misuse it, you also must leave it to someone who hasn't earned it. Well, that doesn't seem like such a big deal, Rose, but think about it for a second. If the meaning of life is work, if work is everything, and I work hard and I'm successful and I leave everything I've earned behind to somebody else, then what I'm really doing is robbing them from what I concluded was the only thing that mattered in life. Say I work as hard as I can in my life and I save up $2 million. I leave it behind to my kids. I'm like, you don't ever have to work a day in your life because this was all that mattered. I've really set them up not to have to do what I've said matters the most, haven't I? That's a problem. I'm leaving it behind to somebody who hasn't earned it. So if it's the most important thing, why would I ever do that? You see the, you see the kind of the paradox here? I'm working and fighting and trying as hard as I can to accumulate all this wealth. To what end? I'm going to die and not even enjoy it all. Okay, I'll leave it behind to somebody else. But if I leave it behind to them, I'm really telling them that work that I spent my whole life pursuing apparently doesn't really matter very much for you, does it? That's a problem. He has a third conclusion about this pursuit of work. It starts in chapter 2, verse 22. He says this, So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Now, now I'm getting to some of your sweet spots right? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their mind cannot rest. It is all meaningless. What's he saying? Here is conclusions. You must leave all that you earn to someone who might misuse it. You must leave it to someone who hasn't earned it. But then he also says, you got to pay a pretty high price in life to get it, to live that way. Now just think for a second, how many of you have come home different days in your life and be like, man, work stinks. It's all I can think about. I can't even sleep some nights because it's on my mind. Work. And while you may succeed and you may achieve a lot, you may accumulate some money and all that, what did it cost you along the way? He says, it cost you a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of aggravation, a lot of restless nights, doesn't it? Aren't there a lot of people like that? They got a job, and they earn some money, and they accumulate some wealth, but man, it's taken a toll on them, hasn't it? Cost them a lot over the years. You got people who have said, look back at their life, thought, man, I missed my kid's whole life growing up because I was working. My job literally cost me my marriage. I have a job. I don't really enjoy it. I actually hate getting up and going to it. This, too, is meaningless. If this is the point of life, it's like chasing after the wind, trying to hold on to it. Work. Now just be honest for a second. Is he right about these things? Are these true and correct? Is it true that no matter how much money you earn, you're going to end up leaving it behind to somebody that may or may not use it well? Is it true that no matter what you leave behind in this world, you're going to leave it behind to somebody who's not going to have to work for it like you did? And is it or is it not true that most of us or many of us wake up and kind of dread going to work? And so it costs us something. If this is all life is, then man, we're, we're being disappointed because I don't really like it. 
But now he dives into a second category today. And they're kind of connected, so I want to cover them both today. And, and you'll see this throughout the six weeks where they kind of overlap each other. And, and I'll get to that kind of in the last week, why there's so much overlap between these things. But then he dives into the next pursuit where you could look to find meaning in life, the pursuit of justice. That's a good one, I think. If you listen to our world today, there's a a need for justice everywhere. There's people talking about social justice and criminal justice and ultimate justice. And if you look around our world, there's a plethora of injustice in our world, is there not? And so the pursuit of fairness or the pursuit of bringing justice to our world sounds like a noble, worthy goal, a worthy pursuit, doesn't it? I mean, there's plenty of need for that. Look at what he observes about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. There's that phrase again. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, I also noticed that under the sun, there's that phrase again, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. What's he saying? I look around the whole planet. There's corruption everywhere. People are oppressing other people. Even in the courtroom where there's supposed to be fairness and justice, corruption is everywhere. Now, is there anybody in our world that would say that this isn't true today too? Could you take an honest look at our world and say there's no oppression in this world? All courts are fair and just. We've mastered this justice. Or would you say there's still a need for this? And so the pursuit of justice or fairness sounds like a worthy goal. I mean, it sounds like something we should pursue. Maybe there is great meaning in that. But not after Solomon investigates into it. Listen to what his conclusion is about all this. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 2. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. He looks at all this oppression, and his first conclusion is, he'd be better off dead. Because this world's pretty screwed up. He keeps going. Look what he says, verse 3. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Do you get what he's saying here? Like, I looked around the world. I see all this oppression I see oppressed people, they're left destitute and broken and beaten, abused. I even look to the courts where fairness and justice is supposed to reign. And even there, corruption is everywhere. And my conclusion is, you'd be better off dead than putting up with all the oppression and the injustice in this world. In fact, even better than that would be if you had never even been born. Because at least then you wouldn't have had to see all the evil going on in this world. That's depressing. Right? It feels depressing a little bit. What's he really saying? He's just being honest. He's just stating what we all know inside to be true. That justice doesn't always win. Oppressors often seem to get more power. The oppressed seem to be left broken and destitute. And and, and no matter how hard you work, it doesn't always seem to pay off, does it? I get what Proverbs says. And we should pursue wisdom and justice and all this stuff. And he's not saying they're bad. He's just saying, let's get real for a second. It doesn't always work out the way we'd like it to. And no matter how hard I try, 
Can I really bring justice to this world? Now, what's so interesting about this one to me is the source that it's coming from. Think about it for a second. The guy writing this, Solomon, he had basically unlimited wisdom, riches, power, and influence in the world. Yet he sizes up the world and concludes, even I can't bring justice to this world. The guy who basically ruled the entire known world at that time could say anything he wanted and people had to do it and obey, had all the money to buy anything he wanted to buy to fund any program or any reform he wanted to fund. He had control over the courts. Yet he looked around and said, even with my good intentions and all of my resources and all of my wisdom, I am unable to make a dent in the oppression and unfairness of this world. So if that's, the jo- if that's the goal for you, if the purpose of life is to bring justice to our world, I guess I just want to ask you, how's that going? Have you made the world a more fair place? Have you made it more just? Those of you who have had a family member or a friend wrongly imprisoned, have you been able to make real impact in the criminal justice system? Those of you who have marched and protested in favor of some position you want to see happen, have you made the world a safer place from any of that? Those of you who are so quick to complain about how screwed up and what jerks politicians are, has any of that made politicians more honest, more righteous over the years? Could you look at your life right now, you who are so concerned about justice? And i got to be honest, like I have a deep sense of justice inside of me. I really struggle to let wrong things go. Like even if it's like a stranger, like I'll call them out. I just don't like that. But I look at my own life and think, have I made the world any more fair? Would any of you even dare to tell your children, hey, don't worry, when you grow up, it'll all be fair? Or have we all realized this truth deep down? That no matter how much we want justice, no matter how good of a thing it seems, no matter how harshly or how motivated we are to pursue fairness, it doesn't really ever seem to make a difference. Does it? I mean, if Solomon couldn't do it, how am I going to do it? It's like a hopeless battle, like chasing after the wind. It's not a bad thing to have convictions and want justice and fairness, but if that's what life is all about, you're going to be disappointed. It's like trying to grab onto the wind. And so many people wrongly think, if I could just know more, do more, have more, accomplish more, fix more, then my life would be great. But the preacher says vanity, emptiness, meaningless, like chasing after the wind and trying to grab onto it. So be honest just for a second. Do you pursue work too much? It's amazing to me how many, even in our church, how many like 20-year-olds can't be at church because they got a job every Sunday. You're 20. Live, for goodness sakes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're 43 supporting a family of four and you're like, I got to make money. Like, you're 20. You're telling me you're so buried in life already that you can't live? 
You work, I, got, I mean, I got friends who are like in their mid to late 20s, in their early 30s, and they're working like 65, 70 hours a week. Why? Live. Is that what life is all about? Is this where we're at now? I can't say no. Why? There's got to be something more than that because I'm going to leave all that stuff behind to somebody that might misuse it all. I'm going to leave it behind to somebody who hasn't earned it. It's going to cost me dearly along the way if I give everything I got to work. Justice? I mean, look, I'm all for March for Life and I'm all for protests and whatever you think you're against. Listen, go at it. But man, I just wish, I just wish some Christians would love Jesus as much as they love justice or would love Jesus as much as they love their job. I just wish we'd get the meaning of life straight in our heads and stop pursuing as if it's everything, jobs and justice. Okay, so then Solomon does this thing. He's going to do this several times throughout the book where he kind of goes philosophical on us. Now, he doesn't investigate anything above the sun. It's all under the sun. But, but over and over, he's going to kind of, it's like he can't get past kind of the emotion I just felt. Like, doesn't everybody else see this? And so he's going to get philosophical on us. I want to read you the statement he gives. He's going to expand on it a little bit. I'll read it to you. And then I just want to kind of tell you what he's thinking or what he's talking about here. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. No, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. We'll come back to that phrase. That's the phrase. God has planted eternity. And just coincidentally enough, that's one of the few things that like makes us different than animals. Everybody's always like on TV, just trying to convince you like we're just like animals. But this is one of the things that like separates us from animals. Animals don't have eternity in their heart. There's no animal out there that wants a 401k. They're not thinking about the future. They're not worried about what's going to happen to them after they die or what kind of legacy they're going to leave behind. No squirrels on his deathbed being like, I wonder what all the other squirrels are going to think about me when I croak. They don't care about that because they don't have eternity in their hearts. But God has gifted this to humanity that we think about that. What is the meaning of life? What will happen after I die? What's going to happen to the people I leave behind? Animals don't think like that. But God gives us this. He plants it in our hearts. But then look what he says. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We've got this craving in our heart for eternity, for something bigger than just this life. God put it there, but we can't see the whole picture of what God's planning from beginning to end. And look down at verse 14 and 15. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now, here's the same idea from last week. What is happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before. God, because God makes the same thing happen over and over again. So what's he saying? Here's the, here's the kind of the philosophical side of this argument. What's he saying? God has put inside of everybody's heart a longing for eternity. A longing for something that lasts forever. And no job and no justice and no wisdom and no pleasure is ever going to satisfy that longing because they all end when you die. And God makes it that way on purpose so people will fear him and respect him and turn to him for an answer. He makes life in a cycle just like that. No matter how pleasurable it is, someday I'm going to want more. 
No matter how much I make, down the road I'm going to need more. No matter how much fairness or justice I can fight for, it's never going to be enough. And God made it like that on purpose so that that desire for eternity won't get quenched unless I turn to him in fear and respect. Do you hear what he's saying? It's on purpose. So all these things we're pursuing, work and justice, are never, ever going to be enough. Why? Because God made you to be filled differently. Something that's new, but never ends. New, but never ends. And you can't get that. It made me think this week of this little game. Thanks for letting me borrow this. But it's just like this little game that you all, you know, everybody play when they're a little kid. And God's made you with like this heart. And you keep trying to fill it with, I don't know what that is, a rhombus or something. What's that? Parallelogram? I don't know what that, what is that? Some kind of rhombus or something like that, right? Is that what that is, Sid? Rhombus? And the only thing that's going to fit in there is a heart. Right? But we keep trying to fill it with all these other things to find meaning, but they don't fit. That's what he's saying. Life's going to keep happening over and over again. Nothing new under the sun. You keep going for wisdom. You keep going for work. You keep trying to find fairness. You keep pursuing pleasure. It might feel a little, it might feel good. It might seem fulfilling. But at some point, you're going to want more. It won't ever be enough. Why? Because none of it is everything. And I designed you to only be satisfied with everything for eternity. And so his purpose in all this is that we would fear him and turn to him for real answers and meaning. Now listen, we live in this age of great achievement, technological advancement, medical advancements. But have any basic human problems really ever been solved? Are they even any different than they were a thousand years ago? Think of all the medical advancements we've got, and yet, like that, a pandemic can shut down our world. Think of all the robots and gizmos and gadgets that I have that are doing work for me today, and yet we're busier than any generation's ever been. Are they really making our lives any better? Or do we still have the exact same problems that all of human history has always had? Is he being honest and right and true or not? Just be honest about this intellectual study just for a second. Is it right or is it not right? Have you overcome any basic human problem that's existed since the beginning of time? Or are we still desperate for fairness, craving more pleasure, inadequate in the amount of wisdom we've got, still needing to work more and more to be filled? Is any of it getting any better? Or is it all meaningless, meaningless? Like chasing after the wind and trying to hold on to it. Now then he goes and he kind of shares this thought that the rest of the Bible is going to develop. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you may know some places in the Bible this comes up. Let me read it to you. It's this kind of cool thought that he's going to expand on. And then the rest of the Bible is going to back it up. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 24, he says this. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. I don't understand. I thought you just told me it was meaningless. Stay, stay with me. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Verse 25. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13, he says, And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of their labor, for these are gifts from God. I don't understand. I thought you just told me they were all worthless. 
He's not saying they're bad. He's not saying they're wrong. What, what he's saying is they're never going to be the meaning of life in and of themselves. That satisfaction in our work has to be a gift from God. In other words, we should work, but not for the inner reward. And we should work, but not for the outer reward. What he's saying is we should work, but we should work for the upward award. And here the Bible develops this, the rest of the Bible. Look at, it's a gift from God, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what it says, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good works we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. He wants you to work, but he wants you to see it as a gift from him and that you're working for him. Not some inner reward, not some outer reward. Is that what he's saying? He exposes that there's a drive inside of us to do work. But that drive is really rooted in the search for eternal significance, eternal value, and eternal fulfillment. But you can never get that from a job. You can only get it as a gift from God. It's why those who attempt to find real meaning in this life through their job or their career, they become one of two things. And you are this now or you see this all around you. They either become disgruntled about all the inadequacies and shortcomings that their job actually offers them, or they become workaholics, always trying to get just a little bit more fulfillment out of their job. But the truth is, neither of those will satisfy. All that will satisfy is when I see these things as a gift from God to enjoy, and I do them as if I'm doing them for Him. Not to get a reward, not to feel good about myself or to find the meaning of life, just because He made me that way. And so my work, the pursuit of justice, they're not attempts to find meaning, significance, legacy, or security. My work is not an effort to earn the blessings of the gospel. Instead, my work is a reflection of the blessings of the gospel. Let me read it to you in other places in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 23 and 24, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as, a, as your reward. And that your, the master you are serving is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says it this way. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Do you get it? Does this make sense? Is he right or wrong? It's all I'm asking you today. Maybe you've heard this before, but there's kind of a saying that says there are people out there who work to live and people who live to work. You ever hear that before? There's people who work to live and people who live to work. Some people work to live, some people live to work. But the truth is, no matter which one of those you are, you're not going to find the meaning of life. Working to live won't bring you the meaning of life. Living to work won't bring you the meaning of life. Here's what Solomon's trying to teach us. Here's what God's trying to say to us by putting eternity in our hearts. You ready? 
I don't work to live, I work for the Lord. I don't live to work, I live for the Lord. Do you get it? Whatever you do, you do it for the Lord. That's where you'll find meaning. If you're working for a paycheck, if you're working for some pat on the back, if you're working for some inner satisfaction of a job well done, if you're working to store up a bunch of money to leave behind to somebody else, it will leave you hollow inside. If you're pursuing fairness and justice, giving it all you got, trying to make the world a better place so that people will think you've done something great, so that you'll feel good inside about yourself, so that you'll leave behind a legacy to future generations, you're going to be left hollow inside. But if you start to work for the Lord, you start to live for the Lord, you will find what he planted in your heart this craving for eternity. It's met only as he gifts it to you. You'll be able to enjoy the food, the drinks, the jobs, the pleasures, the wisdom. You'll be able to enjoy it because you'll be starting to find meaning. We're going to come back to this idea of finding meaning. But today I just want to challenge you on this, okay? As we wrap up, I just want to challenge you on this. Are you the person who work has become your meaning in life? whether that's wanting an inner satisfaction or outer praise, whether that's wanting to accumulate money or it's just wanting to accumulate status. How do you know this? Here's how you know this. Look at your life and be honest just for a second. Does work make all your decisions for you? I mean, they already get so much of your time. Do they get your thoughts? Do they get your dreams? Do they get your plans? Is it really worth all that? Oh, you don't understand. I I couldn't quit my job to be part of serving the Lord, to be part of a church. I could, man, Stephanie and I know people who go to churches where like the pastor will like literally come around and be like, I need you to quit your job because you got a job on Wednesdays or Sundays. It's like, we don't go all that. But I'm just saying, man, look at your life. Like, where are you trying to find your meaning? It's just crazy to me, man. Like I said, I got, I got friends. It's like they can't ever go to church. They can't ever be in a life group. They don't have no time to serve the Lord because they're working every second of the day. It's like, goodness, golly, give it up. What's it getting you? What difference are you really making in the world by all that? So is that you? Are you the workaholic or are you really disgruntled with work? Because if you're really disgruntled and you're griping about it all the time, or you're a workaholic, always striving for just a little bit more, there's a good chance that work has become too meaningful in your life. Okay? Now how about the other side, the justice side of it? This is you, and you care more about your cause than about the Christ. What are you doing? If the people that work with you and the people you live around If they know more about your political beliefs than what God taught you in his word this week, what are you doing? You're chasing the wind. What difference are you really making? Have you made anything more fair with all of your anger, with all of your bitterness, with all of your marching, with all of your complaining? This is how you know if this is you. I don't like it either. I got all kinds of injustice I'd like to complain about, and I got all kinds of money I'd love to accumulate, right? But I'm just keeping it real today. How's that all working out for you? You feel fulfilled? 
Are you making a difference in the world? Maybe it's time we stop working to live and living to work. And instead, we started working for the Lord and living for the Lord. Can I pray with you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church and their willingness to look at your word, to receive it, to digest it, and to go out of our room each week and make actual changes in their life. God, I'm so thankful for that. I'd quit. I'd quit if it wasn't for that, God. So thank you for giving us people in our church like that, that will hear your word and not just hear it, but go out and do it. God, I pray for the people in our room right now that you would give them the courage to go out and make the changes it's going to need, to destroy the technology that's holding them back, to walk away from the career that's keeping them captive, to, to make some new priorities and change their perspective on jobs and justice, and instead to just follow Jesus with all they got. God, give them that kind of courage. It's going to take courage. It takes courage to follow your son. So give us that courage, God. In Jesus' name I pray. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.